he will plead their case. He'll go to bat for them. So this whole area, it's something that God is very passionate about. Now, the New Testament even goes further than that. He says that, uh, James in this case, says that, it, that there's almost a, a litmus test to your religious activity. And sometimes we think of religious activity, if we're talking about just ritualistic things, it it's has a little bit negative connotation, but it's not intended to be that way for James. So James 1.27 reads like this, that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Okay, now that verse doesn't say that in order to take this area seriously, that pure and undefiled religion is, so, is that everyone adopts someone, that everyone becomes foster parent. Wouldn't be anything wrong with that if that's the choices that we made. But he does say that, that everyone who wants to have a, a pure and an undefiled religion, an undefiled and a pure relationship with our father will visit the widows and orphans in their distress and keep themselves unstained from the world. So what does that mean even? So let's dig in a little bit deeper. Now, when James uses the word religion, he's talking about the ceremony of it. Okay, so it's used some places in the ancient world, but never quite in this form. Religious, that was almost, it was like, like an adjective. It's, a, it's usually a noun, like the religion, the ceremony, the... the, the, the um, the, uh, the ceremony of all of it, the ritual of all of it, the, the sacrifices, the washings, the, you know, the, the cleansings, the keeping the laws, the you know, purifications that they would go through. The, the, all, those are the religious things that they would do in giving of alms to the poor. They weren't bad things. Jesus mentioned some of them in the Sermon on the Mount. He just said, when you do them, don't do them to be seen by other people. Don't do them to oppress other people, but do them before God and he'll reward you in secret because you're doing them in secret. So these are things that, that, that they're, not, they're not good or evil on their own. It's it's the heart of the one that's performing them. But James says that a person who doesn't, who, who wants to have pure and undefiled religion, pure and undefiled ceremony before the Lord, if they don't have somewhere in there that they're caring for in some way or visiting, as is how it's translated in my Bible, the widows and the orphans, then it's not, it's not real. It's not pure. It's not undefiled. Now, we won't dig too deeply into these words, but a couple of important things to remember or keep in mind about what James is saying is the, the word for pure that is used there is the same word that we get the word catharsis from. Clean, something that's absolutely been cleansed or clean or filtered, purity. So that's the positive side. And then the negative side of that is almost saying the same thing as something that's undefiled. So it's pure, positive side, undefiled, negative side. It's undefiled, would, we would say non-polluted or unstained is another way. And then we do it before God the Father. And then he uses a strange word. He says visited. And what would he say visited? By the way, this is the same word that's used by Jesus as he talks about, if, you know, if you do it under the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. He talks about visiting those in prison. It's the same, same word that's used here. It's not used much in the New Testament. And it's probably there because human beings, I mean, us included, we, if we have the resources to help in some way, we, we'd almost rather just give than, you know, get our hands dirty. 
or take the time to be involved. So caring for widows and orphans, the fatherless, in the context of what we're talking about, it's not something that can be done by proxy. This is, this is something we need to be close to. We'll talk about how to do that in a few moments. And then God, of course, is really the ultimate father to the fatherless. Psalm 68, five says, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. So what, what, what does all this mean then? Well, let's just look a little bit deeper. We talked about the need of orphan care. We talked about the biblical response by followers of Jesus. But let's look at the main reason that God's word seems to make such a big deal out of adoption. It has to do with what the pastor read just a few moments ago from Galatians. I'm gonna jump over here to Ephesians and share with you something else that the apostle Paul wrote that kind of dovetails into that, okay? Now think of it this way. Being involved in the world of adoption, we'll throw in foster care, I'm gonna use those two, even though they're very different, I may use them interchangeably. Being involved in that is, is one of the best, if not the best models of the gospel that God gave us. Another great model of the gospel is the relationship of husband and wife, it's biblical language as well. But the Apostle Paul uses different language. In fact, he's the only one in Scripture that uses the language of adoption for the gospel, God's grace and peace and redemption and forgiveness. It's, it's quite amazing if you think about it. So here's what Jesus said to some adversaries apart from a relationship with him. This is who, basically, if we're just being honest, it's, it's a straightforward talk, right? But this is who we are without having a relationship with God in Christ. John 8, 44, he said, you are a father of the devil and you, uh, you, are, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, he said. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. But then when we come to God in Christ, we're reborn and we're adopted into his eternal family. The devil then has no rights to you and me. All the rights and responsibilities are transferred over to our heavenly father through the Lord Jesus. So this is a great place to start. So we're, we're much more likely. In fact, no other group, no organization, no um, nonprofit, no other group should have a greater heart for the fatherless than the church. And this is the primary reason why. Because before we were in Christ, this world on its own, apart from Jesus, is just a great big orphanage. But then God in Christ came and made it possible for us to be brought into the family of God. And so in that sense, for every single person here who's called upon the name of the Lord, you are no longer spiritual orphans. Now you have a heavenly father who loves you who brings you into his home and did so in a permanent way. 
Jesus said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, for you have been born not of perishable seed, okay, not just of earthly parents, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. So let's, I'm going to read the first part of the book of Ephesians where he really uses this language of adoption and then I'll share a few lessons and that'll wrap up our time. So Paul started off in this chapter, Ephesians chapter one, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Time out just for a second. We're approaching Thanksgiving. I would encourage every one of you parents, somewhere during this season where families are gathered, rather than only be thankful for the tangible blessings that you have, somehow read, sometime read this passage to be thankful for the spiritual blessings that you have. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world and that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. And we could go on, but we'll just stop right there. Let me give you the first lesson. Caring for the fatherless is an expression of God's love and grace. In that passage, look at the order. In verse, in verse two, he says, grace to you, and then peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse six, he says, this is done to the praise of the glory of his grace. So here's this, this, this language that the Apostle Paul uses of adoption. It's, um, I mean, we've got to look at it in its context, right? The adoption process, obviously, and the transaction was a lot different back then than it is today. I mean, there's still a, a lot of truth to, in the analogy that we could use, especially of the, of the parent just going to the child at whatever age and bringing that child into their, their new family. But in Paul's day, here's the way that would go. The, usually, I mean, a lot of times a child was adopted that had their parents still. In the Middle Eastern world, I mean, it's, it's not, it's still not acceptable just to give up your child. We have some family members who are workers in the Middle East, kind of messengers over there. And I'm using that language deliberately because we were kind of careful about what we say about what they do. But one of the things that was interesting to me recently as we were talking about family they don't, um, you know, one of the things about Alabama Baptist Children's Homes, for example, there are family care homes that we have. When usually ladies who have small children need to go somewhere because of some domestic violence or unrest or, or danger, 
And they'll go to places like that and just get their life sorted together and then help them make a transition to something else. Well, in most of the Middle Eastern world, with, with, with all of the other stuff, all the kind of the chaos that goes on there, in families, this usually doesn't happen. And so sometimes my family, remember they would talk about what we did and the needs of the fatherless and people would look at them like, huh? Like, like they would never just give up children is what I'm, what I'm getting at. So for whatever reason, when that a lot of times in, Middle, in the ancient Middle Eastern world, a family, they, they may live in poverty, they may, they may need money and so they just would decide to sell the child. That's how adoptions took place. And the adopted parent would go and make a deal with the biological parent and they would agree upon a commodity and they would literally put the child on a scale and then usually about twice the weight of that child, of that commodity, was what they would purchase and they would adopt that child. When a slave was adopt, adopting that child, but here's the thing, the transaction was always permanent and irrevocable. But it was totally based on the will of the would-be would -be parent, not on the will of the child, that's the point. And our adoption is the same. This is just purely something that God did by his love and by his grace. And so it's all by this, by this grace, but the, the transaction is permanent, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. There's so much more to that. Romans chapter nine, verse 23 says, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also among the Gentiles, as also he says in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved, and it shall be in that place where it was said of them, you are not my people, that they shall be called the sons of the living God. We were, we were not his people, and then in Christ we can be. 2 Corinthians six eighteen says, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So this, it's just a gracious act. You know, these, these parents, our church family that are over in China, this child didn't summons them that was something that they determined. It's just an amazing act of love and mercy. Now that child is gonna bring a lot into the family, no doubt. They'll be a contributing citizen of this community and of society, but it's all an act of love. It's just an act, imagine what it might, imagine, just imagine if you can. Not even always knowing where your meal was gonna come from and all of a sudden you're brought into a, a literally, a, just think of Thanksgiving and a feast. One of the things that it was, it was always fun when we got to see videos for new families that the children's homes would bring into their, their new family, they would walk into a grocery store, many of these international children, they would, or even domestic, they were never asked what kind of cereal they wanted. They, they were never asked what kind of soup they wanted to eat. They just got what was in front of them. It's just overwhelming for them to go in and they see all this abundance. 
That's a, that's a good picture of the abundance that we have in Christ. To go from literally we're spiritually bankrupt without him to being able to sit down and put our feet under the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why adoption is just such a perfect picture of the gospel. Here's lesson number two. Caring for the fatherless offers peace in the midst of turmoil. Paul said, not only grace to you, but also peace. Peace. In environments that don't have a loving mother and father, especially don't have a mother and father who are motivated by the love of the Lord Jesus, which is best kind of all, the, the most real kind of love of all. I mean, a lot of these children, they, they live in turmoil. They live in chaos. James, when, James 1.27, to visit, visit them in their distress, he said. The word distress means trouble. It's, this, it's the idea of, of churning, suffering, and pain. We had a teenage uh, girl that was brought into one of the group homes in the state. Her name was Mary. And uh, Mary had been in a home with, us, uh, I guess, home. She lived with her, with her biological mom. And her mom was, was an addict. And she was also very abusive to Mary. And sometimes she would need to go off and, and get drugs to satisfy that addiction. And she would just leave Mary with people. And later on, when Mary came to one of our homes, uh, she described these people that she would stay with as aunts and uncles. Her mom would call them aunts and uncles, but they weren't any kin at all. She just told her they were her aunts and uncles. And she was passed around a lot. And so she didn't, they didn't use her name. They called her that girl. Was it ironic because she was, she was kind of a big girl and she had shaved her head because um, my point is she looked like, kind of like a guy. They called her that girl. She, they shaved her head because her, her, where, where her mom had mistreated her, she had sores on her scalp and they wouldn't heal. And so they had to shave her head so that they could get those to heal and then her hair began to grow back. So that's what you step into. The, so the orphan, things like that. But long story short, Mary goes into an environment in this Christian foster home all of a sudden, not only does she, does she understand, does she, does she realize that there's a God in heaven who loved her so much that he sent his son to redeem her from her sin, to save her and give her an eternal home. She also learned that God knew her name. Her biological mom wouldn't even call her by her name. We'd call her that girl. She learned that God has our name inscribed on the palm of his hands, Isaiah says. She learned that her name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, she was eventually saved and the director of the home attended the church where she was going the week that she was baptized. And she was backstage with Mary while she was getting ready to be baptized. And the worker at the home saw the pastor and the pastor was a little bitty fella. And Mary's like, I mean, and she, the lady that was telling me this, just straight up left, she said, I, I was kind of concerned. I didn't think he was going to be able to pull it off. But Mary was so at peace with the whole thing. And here's what, here's what Kim told me. 
She said, Mary sat down on the steps with me, we're on the steps of the baptistry, and I could tell something was troubling her. And I said, Mary, what's wrong? And she wasn't thinking about her friends who were there. She wasn't thinking about the small preacher and whether he could get her up out of the water. She wasn't wondering if the water was gonna be cold or warm. She started thinking about her mom. And she said, Miss Kim, my mom, she's lost. And she said, you know, all those things she did to me, and I'm just telling you what she said. I'm not saying it's true, but she said all the things she did to me, she said, sometimes I brought that, I picked a fight with my mom sometimes. But she said, my mom just needs to be saved. And Kim said, right there on those steps, they bowed their head and they closed their eyes and not the one who'd been a believer for so long, but Mary, the one that had been abused and mistreated by this woman who wouldn't even use her name, said the sweetest prayer that God would reach down and touch her mama so that she would be saved. Now, where in the world does that come from? It comes from God transforming somebody and giving them peace in the midst of turmoil. That's where it comes from. Here's a third lesson. Caring for the fatherless is the earthly model of the gospel. I've mentioned this before, but let me share with you a couple more verses. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, I just read it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Colossians 1.13 says, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Galatians 4.3, so also while we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And for that reason, adoption might be the most powerful depiction of the gospel in the Bible. Because without him... We were all orphans, born under that curse of sin, but redeemed by him. Here's the last lesson. Caring for the fatherless offers hope and transformation. Verse four again, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be, look, holy and blameless before him. You know, James mentioned those religious, the the religious religion, religious activity. You know, there's so much of that that we do. And and we we may do it with a a pure heart, but there's a lot of it. God said, be holy as I'm holy. So there's a lot of that stuff that God doesn't do. God doesn't make sacrifices to himself, except that the one he already made in Jesus, his son, God doesn't pray to anyone. He's the, he, he's, the, he's the receiver of our prayer. God doesn't worship anyone. He's the receiver of our worship. So a lot of the activities that we do as expressions of our faith and trust and love for God, they're done by us. This is the one thing, one of the things that we can do that God does. I've already shared with you how God ministers to and cares for the fatherless. And when we do that, we could come alongside and partner with him on something that he's already very much engaged in. 
And it's just a great picture of the gospel of Jesus. Steve Wigginton is uh, one of the leaders of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, really in North America, but especially in the area around Louisville, Kentucky. And Steve told about a uh, young woman that came and spoke to a group of their volleyball players. And uh, she'd been a star athlete while she was there. And so she came in and she was 27 at the time. And she told how um, her dad, her biological father, left them, left their family when she was a, a little girl. And so her mom raised her. All, had to work several jobs, sort of had different men in and out of the home. So this young woman at 27, she talked about being 16. And how angry she was. Always just mad all the time. And... And then when she turned 16, or when she was 16, her mom started seeing a different guy. Brought him into their home. And she said, there was something different about this guy. This guy treated my mom with respect. He didn't mistreat her. He treated me with respect. He was, there was a, he was kind. And, he, and she said, he took it, started taking us to church. My mom had never dated anybody that had taken us to church. And then she said, one day, this man took out a little box and he got on his knee in front of my mom and he asked my mom to be his wife. And she said, yes. And then he stood up and he walked over to me at 16 now and he pulled out another little box and he got on his knee in front of me and he said, would you be my daughter? And he told her, I don't want to just marry your mom. I don't want to just be her husband. I want to be your dad if you will have me. And she said yes, and he put that ring on her finger. And then to those female volleyball players, she held up her hand, and it had that still that finger on there. And she said, you know, that ring on, on the finger. And she said, when I see that ring, I'm reminded that I have a father who loves me. And I really didn't do anything to deserve his love. He just gave that to me freely. And then she looked at those girls and she said, but you know what? She said, shortly after that, she said, I bowed my head and I closed my eyes and on my knees, I received the love of a, our heavenly father because of what his son Jesus did for me. And she said, I didn't do anything for that love either. But because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I've been adopted into his family. Truer words were never spoken about adoption and the gospel. Now, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to have uh, a time of response. Your elders are going to come. We're going to have some worship. And you know what? I don't know. I don't know you, I don't know what's going on in your life and your heart right now, but it could be that you've, sitting there, it's occurred to you, you know what, that's, that's never happened to me. Like I come to church and I know some things about God, but I don't have that, I don't think of him as my father. Well, why don't you come and talk to one of these men or find your pastor? I mean, they'll share with you what the Bible says about how to really be adopted into his family. 
And then I know that you're gonna have some other opportunities for a call to action. But if you'll notice, there's a, there's a card there uh, at, your, at your table or you might have received when you came in. And it's basically, it basically just has some next steps for you, for somebody to contact you and talk to you about some next steps. You're not making any commitment in one of these areas by signing or filling out the card, but you are indicating that you'd like some more uh, information. You want somebody to follow up with you and you're willing to pray about that. So as our elders come here, let me just pray for you and with you, and then we'll continue our worship time. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at nine o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.